So I used to be a homeschool mom myself, and I've been really enjoying seeing all these homeschool families. And I know um, some of the kids here, I bet you were really missing school the last couple of days, right? <laughs> so I was thinking maybe we should do a little bit of science, because you kind of might have missed out on a little bit, although many of the sessions had a lot of scientific topics. So I wanted to talk about three experiments in abundant living. And we know that Jesus is the author of abundant life. He says that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so the three experiments I want to share, one is biblical, one is personal, and one, my prayer, is that it will be global and that you all will also participate in this big experiment. So let's quick review our lessons of science, right? The experimental, the scientific method, we have questions, observations, we form a hypothesis, we run the experiment, we gather the results and the data, and then we form our conclusions. Everybody's got that down, right? Okay, so the first experiment we want to talk about is Daniel. We find in Daniel chapter 1 that these young men had been chosen for this amazing opportunity. They were the creme de la creme, although we have to come up with a vegan version of that, right? So in Babylon, they were ready for honor and prestige, and they had everything laid out before him, them, all the king's delicacies. But Daniel paused, and he said, should I go the king's way or God's way? We all have that choice every day, don't we? So I conclude, I, I believe that he made some observations from how he had been raised properly. He knew the word of God from a child. So he knew that God had given us dietary guidelines in Genesis 1.29. We know that we'd been told to eat seeds and a plant-based diet. He also knew that Noah had been given permission to eat meat, but it was conditional permission, only the clean animals and those without blood and fat. We also know that he was told to go back to farming, the original occupation, and sadly we know that one of his farming occupations led him to a vineyard which he misused, right? Ended up drunk, okay? We also know that then God worked with his people and he took them through a Sabbath experiment and he put them back on a plant-based diet. And yet the people of Israel, when they were in the desert, they missed the flesh pots. They missed their meat. They missed being gluttonous with their full feeling of the full belly because they were just being provided their daily bread. Again, a plant-based diet. The Bible says it's like coriander seed. So what happened? The people yearned and yearned and yearned for meat, and finally God said, fine, I'll send you quail. We read in Numbers 11 that while the meat was still between their teeth, God's wrath poured out, and they died, and they were buried there because they had yielded to their craving. So here's Daniel and his friends, and they have all everything laid out before them. Are they going to yield to their craving, or are they going to go God's way? So we know what happened, right? The hypothesis was that Daniel would choose to live God's way because it would lead to an abundant life. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And we know he set the time frame for the experiment, 10 days. The diet was pulse and water. And as a nutritionist, I love the King James Version, they ate beans, okay? I, I don't know the Greek exactly, but I believe they had beans. I believe they had some source of protein in addition to their vegetables. But we know it was a plant-based diet and water. He had three subjects along with him that he recruited for the experiment, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We don't know those names as well, but those were the God-given names, right? Not the ones that had the false idolatrous gods mixed in. 
And we know the control group was the king's descendants and the noble young men. So in this situation, would we have the power to say no to everything the king has to offer? That's our choice each and every day. We're assaulted with the same bounty that they were. And we know the results of the experiment. After 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter. And back then, fat was good, right? <laughs> and they were in wisdom and understanding 10 times better than all the magicians, all the astrologers, all the educated people of the Babylonian time. So the conclusion was that there was power of God and there was power in the health message. So now comes my personal experiment. Welcome to my family. We were in Chicago celebrating Martin Luther King on Monday. But we live in a little tiny town of 700 people called Tisqua, Illinois. And I moved there. It's my husband's hometown. He's a Mennonite, born and raised on the farm. They've been there since 1853. And when I moved to Tisco, I never imagined I'd start homeschooling, but I did for many years. And it was a blessing to me, and I encourage all of you that are in that. It's a blessing. But I, like maybe many of you, at one point just hit a wall. We'd had some major family changes. We ended up moving to a big city. We were living in an apartment. I left my garden. We had left Sabbath. I wasn't Adventist, but I had become Messianic for a while, and our family had kept Sabbath. But that felt a little bit strange to my family after a while, so we went back to our evangelical church. And something was just not working inside me. And I ended up with anxiety and depression and really in a pretty serious mess. About four years ago, I decided to try the Adventist experiment. I asked myself the question, was God's way going to work for me? Would it lead me back to good? So my observations were clear. I had known that Adventists were healthier than others. I had studied Adventists, actually, as an undergrad, studying nutrition. I'd never met an Adventist, except for in the hospital where I was born, but I didn't talk to them. Um, I, I, but I kept coming upon them in the clinical research. Even in the 80s, the research showed you guys were healthier, and now we have tons of evidence to show that. I was getting in just the regular pattern, even though I hadn't been raised with coffee or alcohol in my home at all. I'd gotten in that pattern of having coffee in the morning, a glass of wine in the evening. It wasn't working for me. I was living in a city with no garden, and I was anxious. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. And I was choosing anxiety and anxiousness. But one thing I knew, I had an SDA friend, and she loved me no matter what. We fought. <laughs> we fought about Ellen White. If she'd tell me something Ellen White said, I'm like, I don't want to hear that. What's the Bible say? I had, I, I was such a challenge, such a tough nut to crack, and yet she loved me no matter what. I also knew about these blue zones. I'm sure you've heard of. If you haven't, you should. We are highlighted by National Geographic as the healthiest people in the world, one of five people groups in the world. And I was curious enough as a scientist to wonder, what did those blue zones have in common? And amazingly, they have a lot of the same things that the Adventists do, you know, plant-based diet, constant activity, eating legumes, again, those pulses, which I've always been a big fan of as a nutritionist. Um, gardening, you would like that. Strong women, I like that. So they had a lot in common, so I thought, what are these Adventists doing? Let me try this. So I started the experiment in April 2014. I purposed in my heart not to defile myself. And I started with the most important food, the daily bread. 
And I took the Sabbath school quarterly and I said, you know what, I'm gonna wake up every morning and I'm gonna start feeding on this first. And that was a blessing. I tell you, it's, we take for granted, I think some of you take for granted, to have this common language, have this common experience, being studying the Bible with other people. And then you go around the world and you show up and they have the same Sabbath school quarterly. All of a sudden, you're a brother and sister in a way that I've never experienced in my life. And that's partly how I became Adventist. I'll share in a few moments. But at the start, I just was working on myself. So I decided no caffeine. Amazingly, God delivered me from the headache that you usually get when you go off caffeine. Not a minute of a headache. I decided I was already a vegetarian since I was nine, but I decided I would just damper down even on dairy and those types of things. Not, not to a total extreme extent, but, you know, getting there. And I just decided what was going to happen. I had actually gone on anxiety medicines, and there's mental health issues in my family, so people weren't surprised. They just assumed I'd be on mental health medicine for the rest of my life. And you know what? God freed me of everything. Within a few months, I was really, like, restored. My spiritual health, my physical health, and my marriage and relationship, it has not been easy. I'm the only Adventist in my family thus far. Um, but even like my extended family, healing in relationships with my mother that had been challenging for more than two decades, beautiful, beautiful things happen with this experiment. And so now I'm excited and I'm ex wanting to commend these, this experiment to others. One of the ways in which the experiment is still happening in my home is I got a text yesterday from my youngest daughter and she said, Mom, look at my Friday cleaning. Every, set, every Friday, we try to shut everything down. And that's hard for me because I'm very passionate about my work. Try to shut everything down and just start cleaning and preparing for the Sabbath and being ready to welcome it. And she's teaching me, as the children so often do. So this global experiment, you may be curious. What is, what is this global experiment? What does farms do? So the question that wrestled, that made me wrestle was, can the poor also have an abundant life? We know us as Adventists have gained seven to 10 years, you know, but is this a yuppie thing? Or is this for everyone? I contend that God's word is for everyone. So there's 795 million hungry people in the world, and most of them are right where you guys want to be, out in a rural village farming. So there are people, right? This map was something I was confronted with when I was 16 years old, and it changed my life. I saw that there was hungry children all over the world. I grew up pretty yuppie myself, and I'd never even thought about it. Yet these faces, and you can see where the hunger is concentrated. It's in that 1040 window, and especially in sub-Saharan Africa. So these faces, these people, they've stayed with me. Is there a message of abundant life for these women who have no access to clean water for their families? Is there a message of abundant life for the men for whom there are no jobs? How about for these women who I met in the malnutrition ward in Uganda that have nothing to feed their children? In Zimbabwe, to eat five fruits and vegetables a day, it would cost 52% of your income. Can you imagine? So we go there as Adventists, and we love them, and we tell them, new start, right? But what about them? They've just walked half a mile to go get water. Do they need more exercise? 
fresh air, sunshine. We know this is biblical truth and wisdom, but is it the right context for them? <clears throat> How about this? We have seven to ten years extra life, so we're right at 90 years old. If you look at this, it's a bit complicated. <coughs> Excuse me. But you can see the blue dots are Africa. And the life expectancy is on the vertical axis, and the income is on the horizontal axis. You can see many countries, and the two where Farmster is working, the life expectancy is less than 60 years old. Do you think God is amused by disparities like that, where we, as Adventists, get 50% more life out of the deal? What could these people, our brothers and sisters, do with 30 more years to evangelize and spread the good news on their continent? So we need a health message for them. So I was blessed with the opportunity to go with USAID, a farmer-to-farmer -farmer program, which I would invite any of you to apply for. They paid my way to go to Africa. And I said, what I want to do is I want to go celebrate Sabbath. This is before I'd even joined the church. I said, I want to keep Sabbath. I met my Ugandan brothers and sisters, and sure enough, these were my people. We were studying Jeremiah at the time, and they were too. And they were talking about how they dealt with the poor. Can you imagine? This was a church that was 70 years old. Do you know what they wanted to get? Glass for their windows. Because when it rained, the rain poured in. 70 years with no glass. But they were talking about how God had blessed them when they helped the poor. So the hypothesis. So we went to the Bible first. I'm sorry, all places where we need to go. And the hypothesis that we, we formed was that God has a way for the poor to thrive. So the experiment we've been running, something called Farm Stew, we've been going for two years. We have this focus, which I'll explain. And we focus on also a diet, a plant-based whole foods diet. And we've so far worked with church members in Uganda and Zimbabwe. And the control group is all the rest of the people in the world that we haven't reached yet. So as I watched that, I almost pinched myself like I think I'm going to wake up and it's a dream because I, I'm so blessed by being part of this ministry. And, you know, it's, it's a ministry that you all can be part of too, really. Um, you guys are learning to grow fruits and vegetables in your land. And we know that God's solution is not aid, but it's agriculture. We have counsel from Ellen White on this about that teaching people to prepare the soil and take care of the garden that they can provide for themselves. And we also know that God's solution for a diet is a rainbow of fruits and vegetables and that leaves will be for the healing of the nations. We also know that there will be, I'm sorry, that with so many of the farmers in Africa, the reason why they're poor is their productivity is one-third of the other continents. All the other continents have gone up. This is from 1961 to 2011. They've gone up exponentially, but for some reason, Africa has lagged behind. We also know from council, sorry, you know, I'm goofing this, that, um, that when the right methods of cultivation are adopted, there will be far less poverty than exists now. 
We intend to give people the practical lessons upon the improvement of the land and thus induce them to cultivate their land now lying idle. If we accomplish this, we will have done good missionary work. My dream and my goal is that there will be training grounds much like is run by Uncle John and Aunt Pam, but for many, many people to be trained, and, and not just in agriculture, but in tropical agriculture, so we can reach the people in the 1040 window where this hunger is experienced. So farm stew is a health message. It's much like New Start in some ways, but it's contextualized, starting with the basis of farming, choosing an attitude that's positive and a godly way, rest, not just for our bodies, but also for the soil, with crop rotation and mulching, we talk also about meals and the importance of not just the biochemical nutrition, but the preparation from seed to table. Sanitation is so important. So many people don't know about the basics of hand washing. Temperance also, similar to what we do here, but also we're finding that our lessons are impacting domestic violence. We're reducing the, an incident of women being hit in their own home just by giving them an empowering Bible-based message. Enterprise, where there's no jobs, we, we had sessions here even, we need to be coming up with our own sources of income, and that's even most important in countries where the unemployment is over 70%. And finally, water, getting safe access to clean water and also really encouraging people to drink it. So many testimonies of less headaches and, and eye problems and kidney problems, so many things, just water. It is really the healing balm of life. So. I didn't know Ellen White's writings when we started this. And as I read, it's just confirmation of what we've been doing. And I get so excited because some of this confirmation, I learn about books like this one from Welfare Ministry. I'd never heard of it, but a Zimbabwean told me about it. And it says, form small companies. I would love to read the whole quote, but I'm gonna keep going. Here's our small companies, our teams in Uganda and Zimbabwe. In Uganda, they've now trained 25,319 people so far. If we, we, this is where we are in Uganda and Zimbabwe, and my hope and prayer is that we will have teams all across the continent and even going into Latin America and, and also Southeast Asia. There's so much need, it's unbelievable. And my hope and prayer is that whenever one of us go out, we can bring the message of Farm Stew with us. Now these folks are already in the rural areas and they're already farming in very high numbers. So we don't have to convince them to leave the cities. We don't have to convince them to leave the grid behind. They've never been on the grid. They have the opportunity to live the healthiest and most pure and godly lives possible. But do you see? Their income. Can you feed a family on that? It's really hard. Sending your kids to school, basic things like that. That's where we need to come behind them. So the Bible gives us counsel. Submit to him and he will make our paths straight. This is from a Zimbabwean farming methodology. And just making straight paths and not walking where the soil is cultivating, walking in the rows, that can make a huge difference for a farmer. We also just start seedlings. I assumed that these subsistence farmers knew how to do vegetable gardens. Many of them don't. It's been a lost art. We also really talk about attitude, the discipline of laboring and working six days. It's important. Idleness is the devil's workshop, 
and you see it often driving along the roads, men congregating around some silly game while the women are at home doing all the work. We try to bring them together. With meals, we focus on the dark, rich, naturally occurring colors. And we, I'd love to show you this video, I'm not going to out of respect of time, but please go to our website and check out our videos. But the poor, by and large, are eating white food. It's making them weak. So often, when you're eating a high-starch food, you can end up having obesity and malnutrition in the same family because they, they are not getting the nutrients they need. They're just adding bulk. So the like, light hair on this child shows that this child is extremely protein deficient. One of the solutions and the only conversation, I, I mean, I want to talk with Ellen White about so many things, but I don't think she knew about soaking beans. She says that beans did not sit well on her stomach. So often when she talks about the diet, she doesn't emphasize the importance of legumes. But when you go out into the developing world and people are leaving behind their meat or their eggs or their dairy, they have to replace it with a protein source. And you as farmers know that same protein source puts the nitrogen in the soil. So it's so important. We make soy milk so critical. They love, love, love being able to give their children milk. I can't get my children to drink it. <laughs> but they love it. They absolutely love it. There's so much I want to share. Ways that God is showing us how we can spread the gospel with these simple messages of a seed being a representation of the Godhead. God is so good. <laughs> he makes a rainbow of fruits and vegetables, and the different colors represent different micronutrients, like the bright orange representing vitamin A. That's the difference between life and death for a child, between eyesight and blindness. He also makes legumes in all different colors. I don't find that a surprise. We get huge crowds everywhere we go, and, and it's amazing. This is soy scrambled eggs, tofu. <laughs> we talk also about the hand washing. I won't go into details of our curriculum. In the village, we have all day. <laughs> But we also help girls have sanitation for their menstrual hygiene, keeping them in school. And we also work with people like Florence, who's uh, the wife of an elder in our church, who started a soy milk and a soy mandazi industry. And she's selling them at the market and sending her kids to school with the money she's making. And of course, water. Promoting the importance of clean and fresh water is so important. So what are the results of our experiment? We have all these groups we've trained. We leave them with training packets so they can go train others. We see a lot of change already. People used to not give their kids soybeans. Now they're giving to them in a much higher degree. All of these people, 83% now giving their kids soybeans every day. That's the difference between life and death. The kids love it. We also work on having them have a compost pile and a trash pile that's separate so that they can um, benefit from the organic matter that they're producing. These are women in Zimbabwe learning to make compost. And finally, most important result, have you felt an improvement in your health since you started Farm Stew? We have 83% saying they've had a large improvement and the rest saying a small improvement. We are thrilled. And then, of course, the highlight of it all, there are baptisms. In Bulanga, a place where we brought pads, where we did the training, 
156 baptisms just in December alone. We praise God for this. It's really in partnership with the church. But how could we take it global? This is in Zimbabwe working in an orphanage. We can take it everywhere. And we're just, that's what farms do. That's what our goal is. We have in the seven divisions where there's extreme hunger, we have 14 million members. Just think if they were each equipped and empowered with this message, what could happen? That's 77% of our total membership. And I'm telling you, they are ready. These are church members here, been trained one day, ready to go out and train the next day, sharing this good news with others. So we've been talking a lot about country living and how it's so good for the children. I just want you to think of these children too. To live in the country would be very beneficial. They live an outdoor life. They have the possibility of having healthy minds and healthy bodies, having amusement and enjoyment outside. But we want to really work with them. And we have counsel of how to do that. Ellen White says that Isaiah 58 should be the chapter that defines our work. She says that it should be preached over and over again and that the whole chapter is of the highest importance. How many of you are very familiar with Isaiah 58? Praise God. That is awesome. I don't think that's very common. So here's part of the experiment that the Bible sets up for us as I wrap up. The Bible says, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then, and I always look for ifs and thens, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. When I think of that, I think of the depression that I had and the anxiety that I had. And I'm telling you, my darkness is now as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I encourage you to know this book, a book by Alan White, Helping the Poor Help Themselves, The Care of Orphans, Specific Funds for Welfare Work. This is pure religion. You can listen to it like I do on your smartphone. You probably have one. Welfare ministry, it's beautiful. We have so much counsel. So I invite you all to be part of this global experiment. And there's so many ministries. I don't, it doesn't have to be about Farm Stew. But I love what we're doing through Farm Stew, equipping and empowering local people with local foods. And it may not be giving much. I didn't have much to start with. And I could have just despaired at the poverty and malnutrition that I saw. But if we each commit, though our resources may not be sufficient to feed thousands, they may suffice to feed one. In the hand of Christ, they may feed many. Like the disciples, give what you have, and Christ will multiply the gift. He will reward honest, simple reliance on him. That which seemed but a meager supply will prove to be a rich feast. That's what we want everyone to be invited to the banqueting table of love in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.